Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Let's get into the Word this morning. Uh, how many know perspective is an amazing thing, isn't it? Our perspective, how we see things, how we, how we see the world. And uh, it's amazing to me when I, when I take a look or read certain things about uh, uh, certain cases, a witness will have seen one thing and, and they'll say the suspect has a, a, a blue, they had a blue shirt on and somebody else will say, no, I thought it was orange. And somebody else will, uh, will come in and say, well, I think they were tall. And somebody else will say, well, I mean, I don't know if they were tall, maybe medium size. We all see certain things. And, and, and see certain details different ways. And uh, it's interesting. In fact, scientists have studied this phenomenon and discovered that, that what we expect to see has a powerful impact on what we actually see. Expectations, what we expect to see, what we kind of think we're going to see impacts the reality of what we truly do see. In fact, in one study, a group of scientists not realizing, or excuse me, not scientists, a group of subjects, they were not realizing they were a part of a, a study. They went out on a boat on, on the Lake Loch Ness, the, where, the, where the, the, the legend of the Loch Ness monster is. And uh, the subjects were told that earlier there had been several sightings by locals, and there was a good chance that that morning they may see something. Not knowing it, as a part of the test, there was a diver who had, had gone in ahead and, and was in the water, and he had just a simple wood two-by-four that he had under the water with him. And as the boat was going by, at one point, he raised the two-by-four up slowly out of the water and then slowly uh, took it back below the surface again. And the people on the boat started reacting excitedly. Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you, did you see? I think I saw something over there. And so when they returned to shore, they were asked to draw what they had seen. And the subjects had drawn a thin neck with a head. And what they, what they saw was very different than what the reality was because they went into it expecting that they might see something. And so what they actually saw was determined by their expectations and what they had imagined. I think sometimes when it comes to our lives and when it comes to relationships, sometimes we, we too can have our perspective impacted by expectation, sometimes positive, sometimes we go in with negative expectations, and that too can impact what we see and the reality of what is before us. I think oftentimes we don't see ourselves, we don't see other people or circumstances the way Jesus does, because we have been primed to view them very differently. Perhaps our culture, the media, Maybe our circle of friends, the people we surround ourselves with or that we associate with have primed us to look at a certain situation or a certain thing and see it through a particular lens. And so we don't see it as it actually is or the reality 
that it is. I think our vision is colored by the information that we digest, the experiences that we have, and the culture that we're immersed in. I really believe we have to be careful of those kinds of things. I think that's why Paul, when he was writing to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, said that, that whatever is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is honorable, whatever is true, you know, and, and went down that list, think on these things. The things that we immerse ourselves in have an impact on how we view the world around us. And I think that the question remains, do we see ourselves? Do we see others? Do we see our circumstances the way Jesus does? So I really felt impacted to take a look through the Gospels and to take a look at different stories and to ask the question, what did Jesus see in this situation? And to look at things through the eyes of Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, we were in Mark chapter 2. We're going to remain in Mark chapter 2 today. But in Mark chapter 2, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about a paralyzed man who had four friends that had great compassion on him and uh, a great concern. He wasn't able to get to Jesus himself. They brought him on a stretcher. When they got there, the house where they were at was completely filled. It was filled to capacity out to the doorways. They couldn't get him inside. So they went up on the roof as, as oftentimes was custom. There were steps that went on the roof and that they opened up the roof and lowered him down to Jesus, wanting Jesus, believing, had a kind of confident faith that Jesus could heal him. They got creative in their endeavors. They didn't let anything hold them back. They lowered him down, but Jesus, when he looked at the man, saw that he had a greater need than just physical healing, that he needed his sins forgiven. How many of you know Jesus sees things differently than we see things? And we talked about how Jesus knows how to meet our greatest need. Now, he also healed the man, and, uh, and that stirred up quite a, quite a, quite a bit of amazement and, and also wonder, but he also forgave the man's sins. Jesus sees our greatest need. Today, we're going to continue in Mark chapter 2. So if you have your copy of God's Word, open it up to Mark chapter 2, and, uh, and, and we're going we're gonna to continue this story. Jesus is still in the same fishing town, fishing village, the village of Capernaum in the region of Galilee to the north, and, uh, and it's there that, that, uh, the, that Zebedee, uh, James and John, the father of James and John, had his fishing business, and James and John were a part of it. It's there that Andrew and Peter had their fishing business. It's probably their hometown where they lived, probably where Peter's mother-in-law also had lived within the town of Capernaum. It was kind of uh, a home base for Jesus as he ministered in the region of Galilee. You would see him going, getting in a boat and crossing over the Sea of Galilee. He'd oftentimes come back through Capernaum. And it was here that following this amazing miracle of healing the paralyzed man, that Jesus is going out from there, and there are crowds that are following him. And our next story, where we see that Jesus saw something, actually saw somebody, happens. Jesus sees a man. And he approaches him and he invites him to follow. Here it is, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. 
Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. And I think that sometimes we we look at the story and we say, okay, this is just another invitation of Jesus asking and inviting someone to be his disciple, similar to what he did with with, uh, James and John and Andrew and Peter, and they left their nets and they followed him. But there's more to this story that I want to look at. What did Jesus see in Levi? What did Jesus see in him? In fact, the word, the Greek word translated saw here is the word uh, theomai, and it means to wonder or behold with a thoughtful and ponderous gaze, which deliberately observes an object to perceive it correctly in detail. In fact, the, the commentary that I read said that the word describes Jesus' ability to see what's on the inside of a man. Kind of like 1 Samuel 16, 7, where, where God had said to Samuel, don't look at his outward appearance. For, for, for uh, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. You see, what Jesus sees is differently than we, what we see. When we look at people, Jesus sees them differently than, than, than the we, what we see because Jesus sees what's on the inside. So what did Jesus see when he looked at Levi? Or as you might know him in Matthew's gospel, Matthew. (laughs) We're talking about the same person. Levi and Matthew are the same person. But in both Mark and in Luke, they give him, they write, and the writers call him Levi. And we'll talk about why does Matthew in his own gospel refer to himself not as Levi, but as Matthew. That's really important for us to understand. And we're going to unpack that this morning. So hang with me a little bit. Number one, two qualities that Jesus sees in us through, through this story of Levi. Number one, Jesus sees people for their potential, not their problems. Jesus sees people for their potential, not their problems. To fully grasp, we need to know a little bit about Levi. We know the text says that he was a tax collector. It says that as Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee, he passed him and he was working at the tax collector's booth. Hey friends, just a reminder, April 15th is coming up. (laughs) If you haven't done so yet, you may want to get working on your taxes. Right? There were taxes then, there are taxes now. How many know there's nothing new under the sun? However, people who are tax collectors, we may look at the IRS and go, oh, we don't really like that. But I got to be honest with you, more than just uh, the IRS, tax collectors in this day and age uh, were, were a little bit, uh, they, they were a little bit shady, so to speak. Since Capernaum was a caravan route between east and west, there was a lot of trade traffic that oftentimes passed through this very strategic town. And taxes were collected on everything that passed through the town. You might think of tariffs if you've ever come from, you know, you think in the airport. This is duty-free. How many have ever seen that before? Because let me tell you, governments want to get theirs. If you, if you have something, they want to tax it and get theirs. And there's two categories of taxes. First, there were fixed taxes. These were commonly called the poll tax. They were assessed to people just simply the air that they breathed. How'd you like that, right? There was also a ground tax, which was 10% of all the grain, the wine, the oil. And there was an income tax of 1% on all earnings. And then there was a second category of taxes. So those were, those were kind of the fixed taxes. But, and and they, had, they had specific things, specific percentages to them. 
But there was a second type of taxes that was gone, and they were import or export taxes on tolls for using roads, and the taxmen oftentimes would rob people blind. This was at their discretion. This wasn't something that that had a law legally to it. This was at the discretion of the, the tax people. In fact, carts were taxed oftentimes by how many wheels were on your wagon. How would you like that? If travelers and merchants did not have the means to pay the tax, the tax collector would loan them the money and then charge them 50% interest, 50% interest after the fact, thus putting them into debt. Levi worked, get this, for the Roman government. He worked for the Romans. He was considered a a trader collecting taxes for the empire. The Romans came up with a tax quota for, for each province in the empire. They allowed their nobles to bid, so you'd bid on the ability to be able to do it. And if they accepted your bid, think contractors, if they accepted your bid, then you were allowed to be the one to collect the taxes, and you had that booth. That was a big deal because it was there at that booth that the Romans only cared about what they got, but you had to make money. In order for you to make money, you could charge the people over and above what the Romans required and they didn't think anything about it. That's okay. You bid on it. So that's your tax collector's booth. You go ahead and charge whatever you want for your own income. And oftentimes, if you're just like a Matthew tax collector, you're answering to somebody else. Think Zacchaeus Later on in Luke chapter 19, you you, you read about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was over uh, tax collectors. So he had a whole region and, and he had tax collectors under him. So they had to pay him. So in order for them to get theirs, they really had to raise the price. So they contractors and subcontractors. And so they got to get their money and they got to, you know, they're buying from this and they're charging this and, and then they got to get their money. So they add this on top of it. And then they got the subs and the subs have to make money. So they got to pay here. So they add this on top of this. That's what we're talking about. And and in that day and age, they were ruthless. And so people looked at tax collectors and they said, man, these people, they overcharge people in Rome and they keep the difference for themselves. And if you're a Jewish person that becomes a Roman tax collector, you basically traded uh, your brother. You were a traitor to your brother or sister. In fact, commentator R. Kent Hughes tells this. (coughs) Excuse me. The Talmud classifies them tax collectors as robbers. Not surprisingly, they often align themselves with thugs and enforcers, (laughs) the scum of Jewish society. So rare was honesty in this profession that a Roman writer remarked in amazement that once he saw a monument to an honest tax collector. That's crazy. Jewish tax collectors were easily the most hated in Hebrew society, despicable, wealthy vermin. They were classified as robbers evildoers and adulterers. They were, they were classified with the prostitutes, with pagan Gentiles, and, and, and they were not only hated for their robbery, but because they were lackeys of the Romans. Tax collectors could not serve as witnesses in court and were excommunicated from synagogues. They were lowlife. So Levi was a lowlife. Levi was considered scum. Levi was, was not the kind of person that, that anybody would choose to hang out with, let alone choose to follow a teacher at that time to be his disciple. And think about it. Jesus has already invited Andrew and Peter and James 
and John who lived in Capernaum. And so when they're walking by the tax collector's booth, I'm pretty sure that Levi probably had collected some taxes from them on the fish and on everything else that they had caught and on their business. I'm pretty sure he was not the most likable guy. But Jesus saw something different in him. Jesus saw something different. Jesus took a look at him and, and, uh, and I imagine they'd said, what do you see in this guy? But Jesus saw something different. In fact, at Levi's house later on, he throws a party and, uh, and some of the religious people are there, the religious Pharisees, the leaders are there. And, and even they are amazed at, at, at what's happening that they're seeing. Mark 2.16, when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? That's the perspective. That's the perspective of the religious folks. I'm pretty sure that probably for, for James and John and, 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 and Andrew and Peter, that's probably their idea as well. They're probably looking, thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, what do you see in this guy, Levi? You see, all oftentimes that we can see when we look at people as problems, and maybe for yourself, all you can take a look at in your own life are your problems. You take a look at how you don't measure up. You take a look at the decisions that you've made. You take a look at the, at the ways in which you've sinned, and you, you look at yourself, and all you see is problems. Maybe you look at other people, and you think, boy, oh boy, I don't know about them. I don't think they're ever going to ever gonna get it, but Jesus can see beyond the problems to what's on the inside. Jesus knows the potential that's on the inside, and Jesus took a look at, at Levi and didn't allow the problems and the brokenness to become his identity. He said, you know what? I see something more inside of you. I see something more. Jesus sees through the brokenness and the problems to the potential. In fact, it struck me by reading these verses that, that, that where is Matthew? As Jesus is walking, he's got a crowd of people. I mean, he's come from a house that was packed, people listening to his teaching. He's got people walking to him, a whole crowd of people that are, that are walking with him. Matthew's not a part of the crowd. Matthew's not anyone who's seeking Jesus. He's sitting alone at his tax collector's booth. But I've got to tell you that when the crowd seems to be surrounding Jesus, Jesus can see through the crowd and he looks at the people who are alone. He looks at you when you think you're hidden, when you think you're alone, when you think nobody sees you, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. When you think you're alone in your problems, when you think you're alone in your brokenness, I want you to know something. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees right where you're sitting. Jesus sees past the problems and the brokenness. He sees the potential that's in your life. And the same invitation that he gives Matthew, he gives to you. Come follow me. Come follow me. You know, I remember when I was broken. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're all broken, right? Yeah, I was broken. I mean, yeah, I grew up in the church. You know, I'm not gonna lie. I don't have this like crazy testimony kind of thing. I grew, I grew up in the church and I grew up learning and listening and, and that, but I've had times and moments in my life where I know that I was not following the Lord. Times when I 
when I stopped following Jesus, times when I allowed certain circumstances to get in the way of my vision, certain things to, to get in the way of my relationship, and I began to drift away from Jesus. But thank God that by his grace and mercy, Jesus didn't dismiss me or leave me, but Jesus loved me and invited me to follow. That's what he does. That's what he does. And you may feel alone. You may feel broken. You may feel hidden, but Jesus sees you. He doesn't see you for your problems. He looks beyond the exterior that the world, the exterior labels that the world puts on you. How many of the world puts labels on us? The world puts labels. People put labels on you. Maybe somebody put a label on you. Maybe, maybe a teacher in school, you just couldn't seem to get it, and they put a label on you, and they said, you're stupid. You're dumb. You're never going to get it. You know, you're not going you, to amount to anything. Maybe your home life wasn't great, and maybe a parent put a label on you, and you've been living with that label, maybe a friend, maybe a boss, maybe somebody put a label on you, and we live with those labels. Let me tell you something. Jesus looks beyond the labels that the world puts on us. He looks beyond the exterior, and he invites us to follow him. Secondly, Jesus sees that every broken person has the potential to influence. Every broken person has the potential to influence. A second insight about Levi has to do with his name. His name indicates that he was from the tribe of Levi. We don't, we don't know that for sure, but there's a, there's a lot of uh, folks that are a lot smarter than me that have come to the conclusion that his parents named him Levi because they had expectations for him. They, they had believed that he would be somebody that would follow the Lord. The tribe of Levi in Scripture were people who served in the temple some, some served as priests, some served as helpers in the temple, some would have served as scribes, and Levi was probably uh, raised at, at one point, maybe around either temple service or tabernacle service, uh, he, he had been raised in, in that way. The original Levi, one of Israel's 12 uh, sons, had an entire tribe named after him. And when Israel had come out of Egypt, if you remember correctly, they had to put the blood over the doorpost. Why? Because God said that he was going to require the firstborn son of everyone. That wasn't just the Egyptians. That was everyone. But you could be spared if you, if you sacrifice that pure and spotless lamb and you put the blood over the doorpost. It's called the Passover. Well, in Scripture, if you read through the Old Testament in Scripture, it says that God, God requires the firstborn of everything, the firstborn of your flocks, the firstborn of everything. But he said that instead of the firstborn of every tribe, that he would dedicate the tribe of Levi for himself in place of the firstborn. And this is critical moving on if you think about Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Scripture also describes him as the firstborn among many because he requires the firstborn. That's part of his grace and his mercy. That's just a little extra. Hopefully that just like, whoa, wow, that was really cool. If you didn't know that. But he, 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 he set aside the Levites in, in place of the firstborn, and he would take them, and they would serve by running the tabernacle, the temple worship systems. They were set apart for service to God. And I'm sure that Levi's parents had great expectations for him. 
They, they saw great expectations, but I'm pretty sure that somewhere along the line, with Levi sitting in the tax collector's booth here, and his parents naming him Levi over here, that something had happened. Somewhere along the line, he drifted. Somewhere along the line, he didn't live up to those expectations. Somewhere along the line, he had got disenfranchised with maybe some of the things that he had saw in, 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 in the worship. Maybe he took a look at some of the hypocrisy that was happening and, and kind of got disenfranchised and said, you know what, I don't think I want any part of that. That's, that doesn't, that's not appealing. I don't think that's, that's working for me. I, I don't like that. Maybe he got disenfranchised with the way it was. Maybe he, he got tired of Roman occupation and God not coming through in 400 years of silence and thought, God, where are you? I don't even know if I want to believe this anymore. And somewhere along the way, he drifted from that and he began to say, you know what? When in Rome, do as the Romans. I don't know if I want this church thing anymore. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, you know, church is full of hypocrites. So is the gym, by the way. Right? I mean, people get disenfranchised. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've gotten disenfranchised. I, I, I'm pretty sure that Levi, somewhere along the line, had gotten disenfranchised and said, he got caught up. He looked and he said, well, you know what? That seems to be a pretty good lifestyle. They seem to be having a lot of fun. They seem to be making a lot of money. There was all kinds of draw, something that was drawing, something that had, had drawn Levi away from his, from his roots as a, a Jewish boy whose parents had expectations. Somewhere along the way, he had drifted away, and now he's sitting at the tax collector's booth. But when Jesus was walking with the crowd, he saw Levi, and he said, Levi, <laughs> come follow me. Levi, come follow me. You know, sometimes we, we, we drift away, right? But Jesus shows up and Jesus sees value in ourselves that we don't even see in ourselves. How many are grateful that Jesus sees value in us? You know, there's a lot of things. When you think about value, when I think about value, I think that, that value is really determined by the price that someone is willing to pay for something. The price that somebody's willing to pay for it. Uh, what, what I mean by that, I'm not much of a collector, but I know that, that there are people that are collectors, and I'm always amazed by what people spend their money on. In April 2011, for instance, an anonymous collector purchased a 1909 Honus Wagner baseball card for $2.8 million. $2.8 million for a baseball card. Like, I don't know, I, maybe, maybe you're a baseball collector, maybe you're a baseball fan, and you go, wow, I would have paid for that, because that might be something that you value. For me, it's just not worth the price. I don't value that. The least expensive Picasso painting sold in November 1999 at Christie's for $45.1 million. In October 2018, a 73-year-old bottle of French Burgundy sold for $558,000. And probably something a little bit more real. Just last weekend, just last weekend, the last football, well, the, 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 the football that was the last touchdown pass that Tom Brady had thrown resulted in $518,000, that sale. In that playoff game against the Rams when Brady threw that, this last weekend there was an auction 
And there was somebody that paid, believing that this football was the last touchdown pass football, football that was thrown for a touchdown pass that Tom Brady had done. And less than 24 hours later, Tom Brady said, nope, I'm not retiring, I'm coming back. (laughs) So it's, it's probably not the last touchdown pass Football and this person spent five hundred and eighteen thousand dollars on it. And uh, uh, one of these one of the, these folks that values these kind of things, uh, CEO of, of Julian's Auctions, Damon Julian, he said the value of the ball dropped dramatically. <laughs> I'm always amazed by that. But you know what I'm not amazed by? And you know what value will never drop? The value that Jesus Christ sees in you and I. The value that Jesus Christ sees in, I, in, in, in us, not only is beauty in the eye of the beholder, but I believe that value is in the eye of the beholder. And Jesus has value that he's placed on you and I, that literally nothing can stop him from paying the greatest price, his own life, to redeem you and I from sin, because he sees the potential in our lives, and he sees past the problems in our lives. Romans 5, 8, but God showed us his great love Uh, uh, his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. Not when we had figured it out, not when we looked great, not when we had everything, but while we sat there in our sin, God placed such a value on us that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, and Jesus was willing to give his life because he placed value on ours. And Jesus valued Levi He valued Levi and he saw him when nobody else did and he invited him to follow. You see, Jesus sees things we don't. He's able to discern the potential that has always been there and he's able to redeem it. He redeems our lives. He redeems our lives. Remember that that, that the name tells us something about his family history. And Levi was created for more than tax collecting. And Jesus knew this because Jesus knew that inside of him there was great potential to influence and lead others to believe in him. Let me, let me, just, let me just run through a few things because, because after encountering Jesus, Levi was never the same. In fact, he goes by a different name. And that name, as I said earlier, is Matthew. Now Mark and, and Luke call him Levi. But when he writes his own gospel, he, he uses the name Matthew. In fact, it says this, Matthew 9, 9, after Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. He's writing about himself, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Why is that important? Well, we know that when Jesus met Simon, he said, you're no longer going to be Simon, you're going to be Peter, Right? Simon sifting sand, Peter meaning rock. He saw the potential in Peter before Peter could see it in himself. Now, we don't know for sure if Jesus called him Matthew instead of Levi or if it's like a a Saul Paul situation, a a, a Jewish name and a a Greek name. Uh, uh, we, We don't know what that is, but I have to believe that when he goes by Matthew, He's going by something else because Matthew means gift of God. That's what the name Matthew means, gift of God. After encountering Jesus, I'm pretty sure that he said, you know what, I I, want to go by gift of God because what I've received in my life 
is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Jesus sees the potential in Matthew. Also, what's interesting, if you take a look at how the Gospels are written, they're written to different audiences. Do you know who Matthew writes his Gospel to? Who he's writing, his, his main audience of who he's, he's trying to write to. Do you know who, who his main audience is? The Jewish folks. He's writing to his Jewish brothers and sisters. He's writing to their Hebrew heritage. Why? Because he has a Hebrew background. And and get this, as I was reading this, as I was was studying for this, this kind of blew my mind a little bit, that when he wrote the gospel, years after his exposure to the teachings of Christ in the days of fierce persecution, he was the only one again to address the Jews. Matthew showed deep interest in the priestly and scribal functions of his class. The reason that I believe that Matthew had had just a, a Levitical tribe to him that his parents had expected that maybe he had even grown up in that is because when you re- read the gospel of Matthew, he unpacks things unlike any other writer of the gospels in terms of understanding the priestly class and the, and the, and the scribal functions. His gospel fought, focuses more on the law, the Old Testament law, and how Jesus was a fulfillment of that law, and the others don't do that. He, he also opens his gospel with a, a genealogy dating all the way back to the Hebrew genealogy, showing how Jesus followed the, the genealogical line leading up to Jesus, and he includes a whole lot of unsavory characters like himself. He, he understands this stuff. Christ's fierceness, fierce denunciations of the Pharisees and the prophecies of the end of the temple era are most fully recorded in the writing of Matthew. Jesus also redeems Matthew's interest in money. So he takes not only his experiences growing up in that, but also his, 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 his as a tax collector, how he, he learned how to manage money. Now, he was, never, he was never given the treasury. I mean, who would give Matthew, a traitor, the treasury? They gave it to Judas. Okay, I'll leave that sit. But in Matthew's gospel... You have the parable of the talents. It's only found in that account, along with other beautiful passages of great richness. In fact, it's Matthew's gospel that says that that, uh, where, where Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount about where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Don't, don't love God and mammon. You can't serve two gods. Why? Why is Matthew including these things in his gospel? Because Jesus is redeeming that quality in Matthew because Jesus sees the potential and knows how we're made and he's able to redeem those things in our lives. Come on, somebody. Come on. Matthew, man, well to do as soon as he came to Christ, as I said before, this unsavory, he had these friends who were just not the, the greatest friends, not the people. But you know what? It didn't, didn't stop him. He opened up his home and he, he threw this grand party and he invited all of his friends, all of those who, who were a part of that unsavory profession to come and, and meet with Jesus. And again, uh, he wanted to share Christ with them. Look at, uh, Oscar Wilde famously observed this, the only difference between saints and sinners 
is that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. See, Jesus is able to to look at, at what others brush off and he's able to see the purpose and the plan that he had for our lives all along and he's able to redeem our lives. How many are grateful that Jesus redeems our lives? Amen. Jesus redeems us. And, and, and look at Mark 2.15. This is what I was getting to later. Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, in, 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 my, in my Bible, the New Living Translation, there, there's parentheses. Check out the parentheses. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I don't think you got that. There were many of this kind. This kind. What, what kind? Sinners and broken people who Jesus valued and saw their potential and invited them to follow him. I've got to be honest with you, friends, that sometimes we're a little afraid to invite people to come and meet Jesus. Maybe if Jesus was such a judgmental and harsh person, Matthew, who would follow Jesus, might not have been apt to invite his friends to come and to meet Jesus in his house, but he had encountered Jesus. He encountered his grace. He encountered his mercy. He encountered his love. He saw the eyes that saw him in such a way that he wasn't afraid to invite everybody to say come meet a man like the Samaritan woman said who told me everything I ever did come meet a man who changed my life come meet a man who loved me that nobody else did who saw past the brokenness who saw past my problems who saw past my my the things in my life that everybody else labeled me and he saw something different and he loved me and he loved me Come meet a man. Come meet a man. Friends, that's what our call ought to be when you encounter Jesus is to invite others to say, come meet Jesus who changed my life. Come meet a man who saw my brokenness and brought healing and wholeness to my life. Come meet a man who saw me in my sin and who loved me and forgave me anyway. Come meet a man. Jesus sees past that brokenness and the potentials the potential and desires, and des- or excuse me, his potential, he desires to redeem our lives. He, he sees what others do not see and what we cannot even see in ourselves. And he invites us to discover how we've been truly made to live. So here's, let me just land the plane. How do we discover this gift? Right? You might be asking, how do I discover this? How do, how do I unlock this gift? Mark 2, 14 Jesus issues this challenge. Follow me and be my disciple. Follow me and be my disciple. Friends, that that is the invitation. The invitation to Jesus is one of follow me and be my disciple. It, It is not just an event where it's just a simple prayer at an altar. It is an invitation to follow Jesus and to learn how to be his disciple. It's following Jesus. It's following Jesus and be my disciple. Learn to walk as I walk. Learn to live as I live. Follow me. But friends, to do that, to do that, what do we got to do? What was Levi's response? This was the challenge. 
This was the challenge to Levi. He's sitting at a tax collector's booth. He's, he's sitting in a place where he's been disillusioned. And, and, and here he is sitting, and he's at a place where, where it's, it's, his, it's become his life. It's become his business. It's become, it's become his security. It's become his provision. The tax collector's booth is what was providing for his needs. The tax collector's booth was the place where he made money. It was the security in his life. It was the thing that he had trusted in, and it was the thing that he had centered his life around. But Jesus says to him, follow me and be my disciple. And, and what, what did he have to do? It says, Levi got up and followed him. Luke, Luke 5.28 says, Levi got up. Here, here's a little more detail. Left everything and followed him. Literally, he, he left everything. Literally, he, he left behind that tax collectors. Now we look at Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they left their fishing nets. And 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 they and and for 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 James and John, they left their father's business, which they were going to inherit, and and that was part of their inheritance. And they left that. And we say, wow, but, but you know what happened after? After Jesus died on the cross and, and even the resurrection, and they were a little disenfranchised, do you know what they ended up doing? They went back out fishing. See, they could go back to what they did. But Matthew, when Matthew gave up the tax collector's booth, there was somebody else that was right there that was, that was saying, I'm going to take that job. I'm taking that booth. He wasn't getting it back. When he got up and left all, he was saying, he was saying, you know what? I'm going to trust you because what you're offering me is better than what I have right now. The security that you offer is better than the security that I have in this tax collector's booth. And the invitation that Jesus gives to us today is to leave all and follow him. And Jesus wants to see you. He sees you in your brokenness. He sees you through your problems. And he's inviting you today to leave behind that life and to embrace him, to leave behind and become a disciple and a follower of Jesus. There are some things that we hang on to that Jesus is inviting us to let go so that we can truly embrace the life that he is offering us. Follow me. Follow me. Be my friend. Be my disciple. Follow me. Worship team, will you come? I imagine this sent shockwaves through not only his disciples, but the community. I know it did. Because, because when he was there, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes were looking and they said, who is this man that eats with sinners? Who, we cannot figure this guy out. Who is this man? Who is this man? And friends, today I'm inviting you to meet this man, this man Jesus, who saw Levi, now Matthew, as he could become. In fact, Ephesians puts it this way, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece that he has created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Jesus has things planned for you. There are things that, that he sees in you and he's inviting you to let go because the kind of people that Jesus sees are the people that might have 
labels and might have brokenness and might have disillusionment and might have problems and might have sin. But Jesus looks beyond to the potential on the inside and he issues the same invitation that he did to Levi, that he did to Matthew, and he says, come, follow me. Come, follow me and be my disciple. Be my disciple. Is there anyone this morning You'd say, you know what, that's me. I've been disillusioned. I, I have problems. I have got sin. And, and, and I, 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 need, I, need, I need to leave that behind and embrace Jesus. I want to follow Jesus today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to follow Jesus today. There's some things that, that I know that, I, that Jesus is inviting me to follow him. He's inviting me to follow him today. He wants me to follow. If you're online watching and, 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 and you say, yeah, I've been disillusioned. I, 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 have, I have problems. But today I feel that. And, and today I, 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 like, I like Levi. I, I want to leave it all and follow Jesus. Will you let us know in the comments? Or email us info at PainesvilleAG.com. Maybe you're, maybe you're watching and it's leaving later on. Today we're doing it live. But maybe you're watching a few days from now. A few months from now. And you're hearing that call. I want you to respond, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to follow you. Friends, maybe you're here today. And there's things you know you need to let go of. Things you've been hanging on to. And Jesus has just been pricking your heart. You've got to let that go. You've got to begin to let that go. You've got to begin to leave that to be and embrace and be my disciple. I want to pray in just a few moments a prayer of surrender, and I just want to invite you to pray with me today. Those of you online, will you pray with me today as well? Dear Jesus, we thank you that you see us for more than just the problems or the brokenness or our sin, but you love us and you value us and you gave your life for us. So today we surrender. We, we let go of the things that we've been hanging on to. We let go of the hurt and the pain. We let go of the lies that we've believed and the identity that we have grasped a hold of. And we choose, Lord, to follow you and embrace being your disciple. We want a new identity, a disciple of Jesus. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us, Lord, for disobeying you. Cleanse us, God, for the sin in our lives. Come in and strengthen us. Give us the strength that we need. Today, we decide that we're following you. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information, about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.